This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We have been fed a bill of goods as a society that in order to succeed, you need to suffer. How often have you given up on a diet? It could be that you're trying so hard to avoid the foods you love, it's nearly impossible not to give in to temptation. That's one of the theories behind Dr. Yoni Friedhoff's new book, The Diet Fix, Why Diets Fail and How to Make Yours Work. He'll tell us more on today's program. Plus, April is National Volunteer Month, and if you need a little inspiration to do some good, wait until you hear about Nora Brett. Since enrolling in Ryerson University's Chang School's Caring Clown program, the 81-year-old has brightened the lives of countless people in long-term care homes. She's also very active in the Simcoe Community Services Foundation, and she'll share her story later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A new report suggests that provincially regulated nursing homes often struggling with staff shortages are routinely doling out powerful antipsychotic drugs that can lead to death in elderly patients living with dementia. According to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, almost a third of nursing home residents are on antipsychotic drugs even though they have not been diagnosed with psychosis. Here's Ontario's Health Minister, Deb Matthews. We are seeing some, some good progress being made. Um, understanding dementia and understanding those behavioral challenges and responding to them in a way that can really um, bring down the level of anxiety of people without using drugs. The British government is offering retirement savings advice that could be a little hard to take. Say they've got a £100,000 pension pot and they were only thinking they were going to live 10 years and draw 10000 a year. If they're going to live 20 years, they might only want to draw 5000 a year and that's vital information for planning. That's UK Pensions Minister Steve Webb. He's worried that British citizens are drastically underestimating how long they will live and therefore aren't saving enough for their retirement. The minister wants to create a system where pensioners would be able to consult with an advisor and answer a few simple questions, such as whether they smoke, to estimate their life expectancy. Many Canadians take natural health products to supplement their prescription drugs, but a new study suggests that people who combine natural health products with prescription drugs are six times as likely to suffer adverse side effects as those just using the drugs. These ranged from severe bruising to cardiac arrest in an eight-year-old girl. The results, just published in the journal BMJ Open, indicate that doctors and patients must closely monitor interaction between the therapies. 
And finally, it was just over a year ago that Valerie Harper was told by doctors she had mere months to live. Now the veteran actor has declared herself cancer-free. Known best for her role as Rhoda on the Mary Tyler Moore Show in the 70s, Harper had been diagnosed with a rare brain condition. She underwent intensive chemotherapy and acupuncture therapy and found out last June that her prognosis had dramatically improved. The 74-year-old says she's now the poster child for not believing everything you're told. She admits her oncologists hesitate to call it a complete remission, saying instead she's having a phenomenal response to treatment. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. At the age of 81, she volunteers six hours a week, splitting her time between Zoomers in long-term care homes and developmentally challenged young people. Next week, Nora Brett will receive a Dennis Mock Leadership Award from Ryerson University to recognize her contribution. Nora is a lifelong volunteer and a testament to the research that shows volunteering can actually help us live longer and better. When she had to stop walking horses for the Riding for the Disabled program after 20 years, Nora enrolled in Ryerson's Caring Clown program. She dropped by the Zoomerplex to tell us about her work. You're going, you're performing for older people. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people are about the same age as you. I'm actually, quite a few of them are younger. It gives you a funny feeling. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I've, I've just been more fortunate than they are because I can, I'm independent and they aren't. Uh-huh. So I just sort of look at it that way. And, and uh, also, I always think, well, <laughs> that might be me in another year. <laughs> there always is a chance. And uh, so what types of performing do you do in the long-term care? Well, form? sometimes we uh, join together a couple of clowns at the front of the room and do little skits and do little silly things together. Or sometimes we just go in with among the people, which is more effective, I think. And we uh, usually I have we have a puppet of some type. I have a oh I have quite a few, but one that they really like is a it's a it's a ventriloquist puppet, and it's a, a mouse. And that one it it's not so childish as some of them. And uh, I talk to the mouse, and they talk to the mouse, and we have a good time. And then we you know, you sort of out of the corner of your eye you see somebody's on the other, farther down the room that's really interested, and then you go and talk to them. But you've got to be careful not to stay too long with one because that other poor person needs their attention too. Is it that the clown kind of opens up an avenue to contact, to just chatting? Yes, actually it's just chatting. I, uh, we're not really there to give therapy or something like that. It's just to give them a release from being you know, in an institution and a way for them to let them, their child come out. Do you find that even though they're in a group, that uh, a lot of people are just lonely? Yes, I think so. And quite a few of them are in wheelchairs, and so they can't interact too well. So uh, quite a few people are asleep. But when they wake up, they, they wake up long enough and they pay attention to you for a while, and then they go back and enjoy their sleep. We use music a lot, too. Do a lot of the people that you deal with uh, do suffer from dementia? Um, yes, I think so. I, I'm not uh, clinical, so I can't, I can't tell, but I think they do. 
And did you get special training for that? Uh, we did have a workshop one time, and but I sort of like to keep it on the clown level and not worry too much about their abilities or disabilities, just be there and enjoy myself with them. That seems like a very good attitude. Is that uh, the same way you approach your, your other work with uh, younger people with disabilities? Yes, pretty well, yes. There have been a lot of studies that volunteering uh, helps people live longer, gives them a sense of purpose, and, and really enriches their lives. Well, it just gives me a purpose. And that's how I got in the Caring Clown, because I had, I had to stop the writing for the disabled, which I had been done, had to, pardon me, I had done for um, 22 years. And so I was at a loss. So I needed volunteering. This Caring Clown came in and just filled up this thing. And it wasn't the clown, because clowns have never been my favorite people. But it was the caring was the word that, that took me into it. Uh-huh. Because I, I guess I have to care about somebody, and that I had to have a volunteer job, and that was it. Okay. Nora Brett, congratulations again, and thanks so much for joining us. Okay. Thank you. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. After a long weekend full of Easter and Passover goodies, you might be thinking about going on a diet to lose a few. But before you banish all your favorite foods, you'll want to hear what my next guest has to say. Dr. Yoni Friedhoff is coming up. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. It stands out in a veritable sea of new diet books as a gimmick-free, sensible approach to achieving a healthy weight. Ottawa-based obesity expert Dr. Yoni Friedhoff is out with the diet fix, just in time for the post-Easter and Passover pre-beach weight loss season. And he tells me the first step is to understand why diets fail. I think they fail primarily because we have been fed a bill of goods as a society that success and suffering are synonymous, that in order to succeed, you need to suffer, whether that's undereating, whether it's overexercising, or whether it's cutting out foods you love. Suffering is the cornerstone of all modern-day dieting. And unfortunately, as a species, given that food for us is not just fuel, it's also comfort and celebration, we tend not to suffer in perpetuity. And when we can't stand it any longer quit. Why is it so hard for people to eat healthy and maintain a reasonable weight? Well, right now we live in a world where there is a flood of calories and where the current pushes us towards them constantly. I mean, this is a very different world. I don't think that we've seen an epidemic loss of willpower over the course of the past 80 years. I think that the world around us where we are living has changed. And so in this world, whether it's the advertising dollars, the billions and billions that are spent on advertising, where foods are both neuropsychologically and neurophysiologically engineered to be, can't you eat, you bet you can't eat just one type foods. And this is a different world to the point where we now use food to pacify, reward, and entertain at every turn. And those foods are generally very high calorie foods. So are we being duped into being fat? 
To a large degree, I'd say yes. I don't think people go to bed at night thinking to themselves, hot damn, tomorrow I'm going to try to make sure I gain some more weight. That's not what's going on. It's just that the default, if people don't have a skill set in this environment, is to gain weight. The skills are doable. They don't involve suffering, but they do require planning and organizing. And unfortunately, that is not what's taught. What's taught instead are miraculous, no-thinking style approaches to weight loss, which work temporarily until you can't stand suffering any longer. How much of the problem is uh, that people don't cook I think it's a huge problem. So we now are spending, as a society, uh, more than half of our food dollars on foods that we purchase and consume outside of our homes. And in our homes, since just as recently as 1980, we are now buying double the amount of processed foods we used to. We eat too much fast food. We crave foods that have been engineered to be craveable. Uh, and people go on diet after diet. Uh, you seem to have coined a phrase, post-traumatic dieting disorder. Uh, isn't that overstating it a bit? I don't think so. So folks out there who have ever regained their weight, some folks will just suffer simple disappointment. But there are many people out there, and having worked with literally thousands of people over the course of the past decade, there are people out there where it's not just simple disappointment where that simple disappointment translates into really dramatic feelings of shame, guilt, uh, belief that they are not self-efficacious, impaired body image, impaired self-esteem, and real depression. And these are emotions that were not present prior to these failed dieting efforts. And the reason that failing diets lead people to that place is because society also teaches people that if you just want it badly enough, well, you should be able to make it happen. And that belief that we are personally failing, especially when experienced multiple times in an area of life which for many is hugely important to them, well, that is very traumatic and it really can have a tremendous impact. Mm -hmm. So uh, when somebody arrives at your office and uh, has failed at these diets, what do you do? Well, so the first thing is to explain that the goals perhaps are a little bit different. The goal that I think we need to be setting for ourselves when it comes to healthy living and when it comes to healthy weights, it's not about body mass index tables. It's not about ideal weights. Scales don't measure the presence or absence of health. What we focus on in my office is something that we call best weight, which is whatever weight a person reaches when they're living the healthiest life that they can honestly enjoy. And so it's not about cutting out all of the foods that are, you know, pleasurable in life. It is about consuming the smallest amount of those that a person needs to be happy and using things like the timing of meals and snacks, the inclusion of protein, and making sure you get enough calories at every eating occasion to minimize physiologically driven hunger and allow a person to be thoughtful because hunger and thoughtfulness just don't go well together as anybody who's ever shopped at a supermarket hungry knows. So you say that uh, the maxim only eat when you're hungry is uh, the worst advice. I think it literally is the worst dying advice ever given and it's unfortunately a very common piece of advice. I mean once we're hungry choices change. You say you have a way to reset all this. 
So the goal is to help people reset their attitudes towards weight management, to reset their relationship with food, where people can once again become friends with, with food. It involves some thinking, it involves some planning, definitely organizing, as well as diarizing. There is no effort-free, you know, permanent fix. There always needs to be thoughtfulness. What there can't, though, be is suffering. Okay. Dr. Yoni Friedhoff, thanks a lot. Thank you. The Diet Fix is published by Random House Canada. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We all know the famous Christmas songs by Irving Berlin. White Christmas, Happy Holidays. But the famous Jewish composer also penned a pop song for Easter. We'll hear that after the break. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, see the new play by Tony Award-winning Harvey Firestein. Casa Valentina takes place in the 1960s when a group of cross-dressing heterosexual men would go to the Catskill Mountains to practice their pastime. One of the problems these, these men have is that when people find out they cross-dress, when, when people find out they wear women's clothes, they immediately assume they're gay. It doesn't even occur to people that these are heterosexual men. It's Harvey Firestein's first play in almost 30 years and is in previews at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater. In Baltimore, the Museum of Art features a Renoir painting which was stolen once from that same museum on the shore of the Seine, dates to about 1879. To London, England, where the Jersey Boys take us back to 1963. Jersey Boys is at the Piccadilly Theatre. And in Rome, an exhibition features the artist, intellect, writer, poet, and filmmaker Pier Paolo Pasolini. It's focused on locations in Rome where he chose to set his novels and films. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Date Book. In honor of the Easter long weekend, we thought we'd leave you with a bit of music written for the holiday. And although there aren't many popular songs written about Easter, a few do exist. In 1933, Irving Berlin penned one of the most popular Easter songs of all time, Easter Parade. It was first used in the hit Broadway musical As Thousands Cheer, which ran for 400 performances, a major success during the 1930s Depression. It became a bigger hit when Bing Crosby sang it in the 1942 film Holiday Inn, a movie that also featured Berlin's most successful song, White Christmas. But the most popular recording of Easter Parade is from the 1948 musical starring Fred Astaire and Judy Garland, also titled Easter Parade. The film featured many of Berlin's other popular tunes, including Steppin' Out With My Baby and Wear a Couple of Swells. In fact, it won the 1948 Academy Award for Best Original Musical Score. Right now, we'll hear the original soundtrack recording. Here's Judy Garland and Fred Astaire with Easter Parade. Never saw you look quite so pretty before. 
never saw you dress quite so handsome what's more I could hardly wait to keep our days this lovely Easter morning and my heart beat fast as I came through the door Photographers will snap us And you'll find that you're in the road of gravure Fred Astaire and Judy Garland with Easter Parade, the title track from the 1948 musical film. And I'd like to wish everyone a very happy Easter. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Knight. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bendry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.